welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. So I'm going to read from Matthew 5 to start, and then I'll pray for us. So if you have a Bible, uh, that's great, or you can look on your phone, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous sermon ever preached, uh, that Jesus preached, and so it's a pleasure to preach part of it tonight. So Matthew writes, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, So tonight, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus fulfills and we obey the place of the law in the Christian life. So let me pray for us. Uh, God, again, we come to you and uh, always want to pray as we open your word. Spirit, illumine it to us. um, Shed light on it for us um, that we might live in a way that Helps us rest in Jesus and serve Jesus more fully. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, in the story of uh, the death on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross, there are criminals being crucified on either side of him. Uh, and so the scene is they're in, outside of Jerusalem on a hill. Uh, and this, the perfect son of God, Jesus, is on a cross in the middle. And then you have these two criminals on either side of him who deserve to be up there, most likely. And one of those criminals is mocking Jesus. Luke 23 records that. He's making fun of him. He's mocking him just like most of the crowd. But the other criminal is doing something different. And so Luke tells us that this criminal rebukes the guy that's making fun of Jesus and says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we justly were receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus... uh, He said, page two is here. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus' famous words, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So it's this incredible story of God's mercy and grace because you literally have a man who is a criminal uh, doing zero works for God other than believing in Jesus uh, and honoring Jesus with this other criminal But it is God's mercy and grace that brings him in. It has to be Jesus' work that saves that criminal, which is really good news uh, for people like you and me because it means that hope is available for anyone and everyone. Uh, Whatever we've been into in the past, whatever choices we've made that we're ashamed of, there is salvation available for us. And that's incredible news. And you can look at this story from a different angle. And I've had a meeting with a guy who did, who leads you to the question of, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What does it matter what we do then? And do our actions really matter? Uh, I mean, might as well just do what I want to my whole life and then on my deathbed, quick prayer, 
and I'm good with God, and I'm with Jesus. Like, what in the world? Does God care or have anything to say about how we live up until our death? That's what we'll look at tonight. Does God care how we live this side of heaven? Uh, So we're in the Sermon on the Mount, as I said, uh, and the audience for this sermon is Jesus' disciples with a greater crowd uh, that is watching as well. We know that from the end of chapter 7. And Jesus, to this point, not only in this sermon, but in his ministry, has not mentioned the law. And that is really unusual because God's people up until this time, the law was central to their life with God. Uh, there was 248 commands in the law and 365 prohibitions, meaning almost 250 do's and more than 360 don'ts. And that was really the center of how people related to God. And there was a sacrificial system that went to it and you had Uh, religious leaders that were the interpreters of the law, the authoritative interpreters who helped people apply the law to their lives, and Jesus hadn't even really touched it yet. So the religious leaders are like, dude, who is this guy? What in the world? He's uh, turning their apple cart upside down. People are following him because he does show an incredible command of the Old Testament, uh, an unbelievable authority in his teaching And now he's going to break open the law and say, all right, let me tell you about the law. And what Jesus is going to teach us is that because he came to fulfill the law, obedience to the law matters as the evidence of faith. So because Jesus fulfills the law, uh, obedience matters as the fruit of faith. Uh, And in the first two verses, we're going to see Jesus' perspective towards the law. The last two, we'll see what our perspective will be towards the law. Uh, and then we'll have some applications sprinkled in throughout. So uh, first, first thing we'll walk through uh, is as followers of Jesus, we need to care about the Old Testament and interpret it in light of him. So we should absolutely care about the Old Testament, which has the law, uh, the moral law of God, written law. Uh, we need to care about it and interpret it in light of Jesus. Uh, and you can see this in verses 17 and 18. Uh, So Jesus says there, do not think that I have come to abolish the law uh, or do away with or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what is Jesus' perspective towards the law? Well, it's a pretty high bar because he says, uh, an iota is the smallest Greek letter, just this little, it looks like an I. And then uh, the dot is literally like the little tail on a serif. So a serif font, it's like that little tiny deal. And Jesus says, yeah, none of that passes away with my coming. Pharisees are like, okay. Maybe a little bit of a curveball for them. They maybe were thinking he's going to roll out some new law. They're going to bring out the Old Testament law. It's going to be like some kind of law throwdown or something. But no, Jesus is like, no, we're working with the same text. We're working with the same text. I did not come to abolish the law, but I did come to fulfill it. So far from moving away from the law, Jesus is instead going to provide us the most accurate and true interpretation of the law uh, that we could possibly have. Uh, It is an interpretation that we should then pay attention to and follow as his followers. And what Jesus is going to do is what the law cries out for. Uh, If you pay attention as you read the Old Testament, a couple things are going to stand out. 
you're going you're gonna to be like, man, can anyone keep this thing? Can anyone keep the law? Because we have David, and he's doing great for a while, but there's this massive deal where he kills like one of his best friends uh, and steals his wife and covers the whole thing up. Uh, and you have Abraham, who also shows faith for a while, but then struggles with faith and uh, lives in lies and deceit, but then kind of comes back. He's like, oh, that's actually kind of true. Uh, my wife was my sister. And it just goes on and on and on. Everyone in uh, the Old Testament um, fails in some way. And so the law has blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And you're like, man, is anyone going to be able to keep this thing? And then second, we're longing. The law teaches us to long for something better. Because through the Old Testament, uh, as you're reading the law, as you see the law, as it goes through and the prophets are declaring the word of God, they speak of this reality of the law being written on our hearts in the future. Uh, And Jeremiah prophesies specifically that there'll come a day when God would write his law, his character, uh, God's moral character, which is what the law springs out of, that he would write it on his people's hearts and that we, we would be his people and he would be our God. And so the, the Old Testament, people are longing and looking for that day, that day when the law would be written on our hearts. And then Ezekiel talks about God pouring out his spirit on his people. And so you move into the time of Christ, and people are wanting and looking for someone to keep the law uh, and someone who would maybe provide something better than this system of offering animal sacrifices and only the priest being able to go into God's presence with a rope around his waist in case he uh, dishonored God's holiness, is there a different way? It leaves us wanting something better and something more. And when Jesus says that he fulfills the law, he is saying, one, I'm the perfect law keeper. And then two, I am the realization, I'm the embodiment of everything the Old Testament promises and points to. I fulfill the law. Romans 5, 19 and Hebrews 4, 15 are really clear that Jesus perfectly kept the law. I uh, kept it down to the smallest detail, um, honored every part of it. And then uh, the New Testament is just over and over uh, saturated with teaching about Jesus fulfilling aspects of the Old Testament that were meant to point to him. Because when Jesus says he fulfills but doesn't abolish There are aspects of the law that he completes. Uh, So for him to say that he fulfills it does not mean that he can't then complete some of it and have it not be applicable to us anymore. Uh, Because what you can see is that we don't have an altar up here for sacrificing animals on. Uh, I'm guessing that many of you have mixed cloths in your uh, clothes that you're wearing. Um, And I don't know if any of you... uh, did the thing with the goat's milk and the mother's blood, or mother's, I got that totally wrong, but you know what it is. The mother in the goat in his mother's milk. Um, don't think you've thought about that at all today. And that is appropriate uh, because fulfillment is what Jesus is after. Um, so he's not coming to say, yep, we're done with that. We're going to something else. He's saying, no, I'm going to fulfill it completely. And so as you would read the Old Testament, what will really, I think, bring the Old Testament to life today in particular is when you read it in light of Christ. And so we can think about something briefly called typology, which is just simply that the Old Testament reveals truths of through people, events, and institutions. So as you read the Old Testament, people, events, and institutions that are meant to prefigure 
or be fulfilled in Christ and his people. So to be a picture of, or like a kind of foreshadow or announce, guys, something better is coming. And that someone is Jesus. So an example of a person that Jesus then is a better version of is David. Uh, David has this promise that a king will reign forever in his line. But David dies. And then Solomon is incredibly wise and incredibly wealthy, but Solomon dies. And that repeats itself over and over and over so that you are looking and longing for a king who would reign forever. And Jesus is that king. When we read about an event like the Exodus, uh, an event where God is delivering his people out of slavery uh, against the force of the day, the evil force of the day, Pharaoh and Egypt, and he's delivering him with incredible signs and wonders and bringing God's people through the water uh, and through this judgment uh, then that would overtake Egypt, uh, judgment that is a picture of baptism, right, where we go down into the water and come back out. That as God's people come through it, that's a picture of the life that we have in Christ. And if you think about an institution, you can think of the sacrificial system, that there was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, priest after priest after priest, and then Jesus comes as both the perfect sacrifice, the great high priest, and now sits at God's right hand as our mediator forever. And when we read the Old Testament in light of those things, it begins to sing and begins to create in us the kind of response that Jesus is looking for, a response that values the word, that has the highest regard for God's law, for God's word, and sees it as fulfilled in Jesus. So that's our starting point. We need to care today about the Old Testament and interpret it in light of Jesus. But second, as followers of Jesus, we need to obey and teach God's word. And we need to obey and teach God's word. And the idea here is that obedience is an essential mark of being a Christian. So you should know a Christian by their deeds. You should know, oh yeah, that, that person's a Christian. They trust in Jesus and it comes out in their lives. Uh, it comes out through selflessness. It comes out through keeping God's word and we see this in verse 19. So Jesus has said, I've come to fulfill the law. Absolutely, we're working with the same law. By the way, none of it's passing away until all is accomplished. And so aspects of it he fulfills. But it is all still valuable. It's all still important. And so Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments from the law and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So a few things from the verse, therefore, you always look at what came before. What, what is the therefore, therefore? I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, but what's really interesting is this is talking about, Jesus is saying, whoever among you, whether, uh, whether you relax the commandments or you teach them fully, you're gonna, both of those people are in the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about Christians. Uh, we're talking about people who are all in in Christ, have trusted in Christ, uh, have trusted in Christ completely for their salvation. But still within this realm of Christianity, there are those who will maybe try to downplay the law, who would relax the commandments, and there are those who will faithfully pass on the commandments and do them. And those people will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Or we could think of uh, the parable where it says, well done, good and faithful servant, is those who keep the law and teach the law. Keep the law and teach the law. 
not to gain salvation, right? So just clear as can be, we don't obey, um, we don't obey to earn our salvation. We obey because we ha- already have salvation. Uh, we don't obey to become new creations in Christ. God makes us new creation, and then that obedience flows out of that. Um, so we can't earn our salvation, nor do we obey to kind of have this day-to-day, like, I'm good with God, <laughs> right? So if you've been at our church a little bit, or if you haven't, we're so glad that you're here, and we'd love for you to be here. And what you'll learn is we, we understand Jesus is our hope. Uh, we understand we're not a big deal. Jesus is, and Jesus is our hope. And so probably none of us who have been around Redeemer for a while would speak and say, yeah, I'm basically kind of earning my salvation. And yet... How do we, what do we base the way that we feel at the end of a day on? Is it on how good that we did, basically? We're kind of like weighing the scales, and it's like, yeah, today was pretty good, and I'm, I, so much uh, in the first, boy, 30 years of my walk with Christ, that was literally it. I'd be like, sweet, yep, did a good job with that, that, and that, that really sucked, but oh well, it's still a pretty good day. And I'm still a pretty good person, if I was honest with myself. That is not what Jesus is teaching. That is not what he's wanting us to believe. Instead, he wants us to believe that in him we are fully known and fully loved and fully accepted. And that is what frees us to keep the law from the heart. From the heart. Because that's where we're headed next, um, is to verse 20. Uh, and verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the third point, guys, is that true obedience includes heart motivation and external action. Uh, or we need to obey God from the heart. <laughs> that helps you capture it easier. Um, God cares about what the action behind the action, the motivation behind the action, the reason behind the action And in fact, he says that unless we have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. So verse 19 had been about a pool of believers, and Jesus is saying, listen guys, faithfulness matters. Faithfulness is important. Keep the word. In verse 20, it's a little bit different situation in that the Pharisees are not even in the kingdom of heaven. And so we have to ask, what what is going on here? This is supposedly these teachers of the law, and it was absolutely uh, guys who had an incredible understanding of the law, and yet Jesus would say, if, they're, if we don't exceed their righteousness, we won't enter the kingdom. So what is the righteousness of the Pharisees? Uh, what is this righteousness that Jesus says is not enough? Because the Pharisees had the law, um, but John Stott helps us, a commentator, by saying The scribes and the Pharisees uh, were both restricting the commands of the law to the external only. So it was all about what what you did externally. And they were increasing the permissions in the law to make them more doable. I thought that was really interesting as I studied because I'd always thought of the Pharisees as the law guys. The guys who you could be like, oh yep, I can quote it backwards and forwards. I'm tithing uh, my herbs as well as my money. And they have it on lockdown. But, in fact, uh, from verse 19, Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, that's no good. And the Pharisees 
did that in reducing the law to just external stuff. So as Jesus, as you'll hear in weeks to come, Jesus will walk through six aspects of the law and he'll bring his right, true, authoritative interpretation and he'll show where the Pharisees are in the wrong. And if the Pharisees don't turn, that they aren't even in his kingdom. Uh, and one of the examples is do not murder. And the Pharisees had relaxed that by command by saying, yeah, just don't take someone else's life. And that's all you really got to think about. We're on to the next law. Okay, great. Okay. Jesus is like, whoa. You basically just killed them with your looks. And that's not okay. <laughs> or your actions or your words bit. And they cut. And just in every way that you could, tearing down through words, that is, the Pharisees would have been like, hey, well, they didn't kill them. Right? They're still breathing. And yet, uh, we devastate people, right? Or can with their words, with their looks, with their actions. Jesus is saying, think about that because I've come to fulfill all righteousness and I've come to call you into something where the law is written on your heart and you internalize it. You value the character of God. You desire to think God's thoughts after him, to desire what he desires, to do his will. And so your heart wants to obey and it comes out in all your actions, not just this external law keeping. The Pharisees in as well, a couple of these things that you guys will look at in weeks to come are permissions that they just take way beyond. So one of them is this permission. Scripture gives a permission of what's called retribution, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that was meant to be carried out in a court of law, that this retributive justice, uh, God has designed for that to be healthy for a society. But what the Pharisees had done is they had expanded it beyond just a court of law to say, yeah, you can carry out personal revenge, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, it's on. <laughs> Absolutely, go for it. And they had taken it out of just this court of law where there was rule and there was a basis for things and taken it into the realm of personal revenge so that people could uh, not only kill with their looks, but li literally just get back at people. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You guys have missed it, right? You guys have missed it. That's not what the law is meaning there. The meaning in it is, um, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And that would have just, the Pharisees would have had no concept of that because they had made it all about the letter of the law. They made it about external conformity only. And that was the problem. They had made it about just these external actions and not something that you internalized where every thought, word, and deed is done to glorify God uh, and our every motivation and action is an act of service to the Lord. Uh, so Sinclair Ferguson says, our obedience to the law is not to be merely external and ceremonial, but real and spiritual. So we enter the kingdom of heaven through Jesus' righteousness. It's got to be perfect. And then Jesus is saying, guys, go for it. Live in light of the law. Carry out the law. Serve each other because my grace is enough. I'll forgive when you fall short and that frees you to run hard after me. And so we fight to keep the law, guys. In Christ, um, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning right? Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We absolutely have to give full effort to obey, to put to death sin uh, and replace it with truth and pursue righteousness. Uh, and we do that together in community. 
Uh, I would challenge you to, uh, this summer if you want, try and show me a place where in the New Testament someone believes in Jesus and then over time in their walk just kind of isolates and is, they're on their own. It's just them, them and Jesus, right? Uh, it doesn't exist. You will not be able to find it. The reality of um, life in Jesus is that we do it together. We're better together. We're better calling out each other's blind spots. We're better 10 times for every one time we call out blind spots, 10 times encouraging, picking up, building up uh, word in due season, that refreshing word. We do this together in community. Uh, so just really encourage you to make this a habit, make Sundays a habit, make phone calls a habit, make texts a habit as we live in community. That's the life that Jesus puts in front of us because our righteousness is not just this external deal where we check in on Sunday and then check back out and check in on Thursday and check back out. Sundays and Thursdays feed into all of our lives lived in worship to Jesus. That is the kind of righteousness that uh, Jesus is after uh, and that the Pharisees just could not understand. The Pharisees' righteousness was maybe something like a story I heard a pastor named Paul Tripp tell. Paul Tripp said they had an apple tree in their front yard and there was a summer where it was not producing good apples. And so it was just this mushy, disgusting, just apples that you're like, you take a bite and it's like, oh, great, this is going to be good. And so they're sitting at the dinner table and his wife is like, Paul, I need you to fix the apple tree. And he's like, okay, I'm going to fix it. And he goes to Los and he gets a pneumatic nail gun and a bunch of nails and he goes to Woodman's. Let's say he goes to Woodman's here. He buys three bushels of apples, beautiful, crisp-looking apples, and he comes home. And he's just then, he's going for it. Nail gun, apples going up on the tree, all over. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, all this thing looks incredible, right? Incredible. And then he said, if I would go into my wife and say, sweetie, I fixed the apple tree. It's fixed. Look, it's great. It's good. I fixed it. She would look at me like I'm crazy, and the neighbors probably already would have called uh, the, the insane asylum, right? Like, come on! The apple tree is not fixed. And that's what just trying to change external behavior only is like. Instead, what God would have us do is draw on his means of grace that he gives um, to strengthen the roots of our tree, to strengthen the branches, and then, guys, fruit comes. So there's this, there is the hard effort and work that goes into it, and then at the same time, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And there's a sweetness in it that when we are abiding in Jesus, doing it together in community, receiving from uh, the word, responding to God in prayer and feeding on God's means of grace and giving ourselves to those things, fighting hard for that, that there's just a beauty to it. There's a joy, there's a rest, uh, there's a peace that passes under all understanding. And that is what Jesus would call us into uh, and would offer to his people. So does God care about what we do? Uh, absolutely. Um, Jesus does as well. And Jesus is the authoritative interpreter of the law. So Old Testament, as you read it, uh, look, look for spots that point ahead to a need for Jesus. Uh, look for the provision of Jesus. And then, as I just pray that obedience would, would truly be a joy for you, not so you can rest at night, uh, but because Jesus enables you to rest and that frees you to run hard after obedience. Uh, so let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, you're kind. 
and uh, you were kind with the disciples day after day that you were with them. Uh, thank you that you, uh, Jesus, taught with all authority, um, perfectly understood the law, and Jesus, you were gentle and lowly in heart, and you're gentle with us. Uh, you recognize our weakness, you recognize our need for your grace, and then Jesus, you've given us your spirit to obey you, to know your word, to live in relationship with you, Father, and to do that in community. Uh, I just really pray for community for everyone in this room, uh, that they would pursue it. Uh, it's no good to be alone. We're designed for friendship. We're designed for fellowship in the church, both peer fellowship and across generations. And so I just really pray that you would bless everyone in this room with deep fellowship where they can be real. Um, have fun, absolutely. Have a blast. That's appropriate and good. And God, it's so restful and satisfying when we can be real and then call each other together to live obediently following Jesus. And God, I pray that this would be a room and a generation and a church that is characterized by holiness, not to earn, but in response to what you have earned, Jesus, and that our lives would tell of your greatness, uh, that we would tell of it as well with our words. And we just praise you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.